Devi ki jai, Tosi Maharani ki jai, Samaveta Bhaktivinda ki jai, Gaur Primanandini. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale. Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gorvani Pachani Nibhasesasamani Paskachade Satarani Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Uta Parakamalam Sri Guru Vaishnavam Sacha Sri Rupam Sadhvajatam Sadhana Raghunatam Vitam Stam Sajivam Sadhvaitam Sadhvudutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita Sri Vishakam Vitam Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's November 12th, 2011. In Sydney, Australia, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 5, Chapter 3, Rishabh Dev's appearance, text 18. So, do you repeat this first, or what do you This is all prose. So, what do you do? You don't repeat. Tata Agni Dvire Nisha Kala Yava Tarisyami Atmatuyam Anupala Bamana. Tataha. Therefore, Agnidriye, in the wife of Nabi, the son of Agnidra, Amsakalaya, by an expansion of my personal form, Avatarasyami, I shall invent myself. Atmatulyam, my equal, Anupala Bhamanaha, not finding. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. Since so, this is uh, Lord Vishnu speaking to Nabi, his wife Mary Devi, and all of the priests at the Yagya who have asked for somebody like God someone equal to God, to become the son of Nami. So that's the context. Translation. Since I cannot find anyone equal to me, I shall personally expand myself into a plenary portion and thus advent myself in the womb of Merudevi, the wife of Maharaj Nabi, the son of Agamidra. Purport. This is an example of the omnipotence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Although he is one without a second, he expands himself by swamsa, his personal expansion, and sometimes by vibhinamsa, or his separated expansion. What are the vibhinamsas? Who are the vibhinamsas? Personal. That's separated expansion. Swamsa's personal expansion. Who's the vibhinamsas? You're looking at a lot of them right now. Yes, all of us, all the jivas. So he expands himself by swamsa, his personal expansion. So who are the swamsas? 
Hmm? For Vishnu. For Vishnu, right? All the avatars. And sometimes by Vimanamsa or his separated expansion. So who's the Vimanamsas? Jesus. Lord Vishnu here agrees to send his personal expansion as the son of Merudevi, the wife of Maharaj Nabi, who is the son of Agnitra. The Ritvija, the priests, knew that God is one. Yet, they prayed for the Supreme Lord to become the son of Maharaj Nabi, to let the world know that the absolute truth, the Supreme Personality, Godhead, is one without a second. When he incarnates, he expands himself in different potencies. Tata Agni Driye Mishakalayava Tadishyami Atmaturyam Anupalavamanaha. Since I cannot find anyone equal to me, I shall personally expand myself into a plenary portion and thus advent myself in the womb of Merudevi, the wife of Maharajanabi, the son of Abhinitra. So here we find many personalities who've become the agent or the vehicle for the appearance of the Lord. We found Maharaj Abhinitra, whose story was in the previous chapter. Actually, we're just reading about Maharaj Abhinitra in Yugovardhan and how he married Purvachiti, how he has this son, Maharaj Nabi, who then marries Mary Devi, so you've got Agnidra, and you have Brahma, who arranges the marriage of Agnidra and Purvachiti. Then you have Nabi, and you have Mary Devi, and then you have the priest, the Ritvija, the Ritvik priests, and all of these people coming together, and I'm sure many more, Mary Devi is the daughter of Meru. There's no information about him, but I'm sure he has something to do with this also. So all of these personalities have come together in their own way, by their own qualifications, playing their own role, so that Krishna will appear. So of course that is also the purpose of the Hare Krishna movement. We want Krishna to appear. We want Krishna to appear in his deity form. We want Krishna to appear in his holy name. We want Krishna to appear in the Bhagavatam. And we are all supposed to be playing our role so that Krishna appears. I mean, even materially, people want to find out what is my place? Where can I find myself? Where can I be in a position where I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Something that satisfies me and where I'm in the right place in the universe, isn't it? Like the famous psychologist, Abraham Maslow, he talks about a hierarchy of needs. Any of you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah. He talks about the lowest needs are what? What's at the bottom? Physiological? Physiological, yes. Like you have to have water, right? You don't have any water. That's a cool one. If you don't have any water, how are you going to maintain your life? Right? You have to have proper temperature. If it's too hot, too cold, right? you have to have air. Basic physiological needs. Does anyone become happy just by getting their physiological needs satisfied? No. Then he goes up that there are social needs. There are psychological needs, needs for self-esteem. There's needs to be part of a community. So it goes higher and higher, and his top need is what he calls self-actualization, where you find yourself, where you say, yes, this is where I belong. So, of course, he wasn't a spiritual person. But what he's talking about is spirituality. 
Prabhupada would talk about self-realization. We have this book, The Science of Self-Realization. But self is in relationship to Krishna. Self is not just floating. I mean, even materially, if you say, I'm going to find myself, and I'm going to find my, what I'm supposed to be doing, and who I am, I'm going to be really fully, authentically who I am, it's always in relationship to something. In relationship to the planet, or in relationship to your country, or to your family, or to your society, or... Right? We're uh, taking my grandson, Johnny, yesterday to see the opera house, and the bridge, and there's this boat of people who go out and save whales. That's what they do. They, they take their boat down to Antarctica and they capture those nasty Japanese whalers and bring them to justice. You know, so who I am in relationship to the whales, to relationship to the trees. It, it, there's always some relationship. So understanding myself means understanding myself and the whole of which I am a part. Mamai vamsa jiva loke jiva bhutasanatma amsa. Prabhupada's talking here about also the Vibhinamsa and the Swamsa. Amsa is part. Krishna's expanding himself here to become their son. Well, we are also all expansions of Krishna. We all know that, right? We're expansions of Krishna, actually. Not plenary. Like here, the Lord is saying he's going to exist in plenary form. Plenary means full. If you have a plenary meeting, then all of your delegates are there. Whereas living amsa, this amsa, we're partial. But we're complete. Om purnamada purnamidam purnat purnat udachate purnasya purnam adaya purnam eva basishate. This is complete, that is complete. If you take the complete away from the complete, you still have the complete. So Krishna remains complete. We have come from him. And we are not in time. We exist eternally. Krishna says there's never a time when we did not exist. So we've always existed as a separated, Prabhupada talks about here, separated part. But a separated part that still has a relationship with the whole. So this is how we find ourselves. You know, materially, we try to find ourselves by having the proper spouse. You know, I want to marry my soulmate and I'll just find myself in connection with that person. Well, we try to find ourselves by having children. You know, this person, they're going to be my, the person who completes me. Right? Or by having a beautiful home. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll be in my place. Or being in just the right location, the right city, the right country. Just like probably many of you here, you've left your home country. Now you've come here to Australia. In Australia, then I will find myself. I will be happy because there won't be trash on the side of the roads and people will follow the rules. And I'll have more money in the bank. Right? He's asking some devotees in, in Brisbane, so why have you come to Australia? Oh, because uh, with one Australian dollar, we can buy 55 rupees. So I'm thinking, and then, I've got, then I'll find my place. I'll feel satisfied. I'll feel whole. I'll feel authentic. Or oh, you think by finding the right career, speaking to one uh, young devotee who's just about to graduate from college with her degree. I want to find what fits me. I don't know. Am I an artist? Am I a photographer? Am I a writer? What, what is, where, is, where am I going to fit? Who am I? So here we see a very nice example 
of people who have all found their place. They've all found their role in connecting with the whole, where they're supposed to be to facilitate the appearance of Krishna, the appearance of the whole of which they are a part. And therefore they have satisfied the Lord, and they themselves are satisfied. Their life has actual meaning. They have an authentic life of fulfilling meaning. So this is our, this is what we're called to do by Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada is calling us to find ourselves and to become an agent of greatness. Not exactly that I become great. I'm very small. I can never really become great. But I become great by being an agent of greatness, by facilitating greatness, by, as they say in New Age terms, channeling greatness. That's what these devotees are doing. They're channeling God. They're having their yagya. They're saying their prayers. They're becoming purified. So let's look at each of them. So first we have the brahmanas, the ritvija. Ritvija means technically an assistant priest. Uh, but Prabhupada's using that word here. And these brahmanas, these ritvija, how have they been agents of greatness? How have they found their place? So first of all, they are doing the activities as mentioned in the shastra that fit with their own psychological nature. They understood what is their guna, what is their qualities, and they're doing the corresponding activities in relationship to Krishna. And here it becomes actually in every respect the sacrifice. Because whenever we find our psychological nature and we do the corresponding activities in relationship to Krishna, that is a sacrifice. Krishna explains this so nicely in chapter 3, 4, 5 of Bhagavad Gita. Even Arjuna fighting on the battlefield was a sacrifice. It doesn't look like a sacrifice to me. <laughs> but it is. Everything is being offered. In Bhagavad Gita 4.24, everything that becomes offered becomes Brahman. It all becomes transcendental. But the Brahman is fine. Their guna is to do these literal ritualistic sacrifices, to say the mantras, to their qualities are such that they want all of their time absorbed in, in something that in every respect externally appears as transcendence. So someone else, they may be doing something that externally appears as material, but by connecting it with the transcendence, it becomes transcendence. Whereas some people, they want to do simply directly the transcendence. This is the benefit of having the guna of a brahmana. Because the material activities of a brahmana and spiritual activities are almost the same. They're almost the same. Now, spiritual activities, direct spiritual activities are like the fire. And material activities that are spiritualized is like a pot put on the fire. I'm not going to say iron rod because anybody here use iron rods put in the fire? <laughs> That's the Shastric example, but I don't think any of us are blacksmiths, nor do we see any, unless you go to some museum, you know, one of these recreated historical towns then you see the blacksmith and he puts his iron rod in the fire and it becomes glowing red hot but I think we all cook or we see somebody cook unless we're a raw foodie so we all have some experience with cooking and you put the pot on the fire and you touch the pot you also get burned in fact if you put your food directly on the fire it doesn't work so well you have to have some sort of via media isn't it some grill or some stick or something I mean, even you can throw potatoes in the fire, but usually you have to foil first. 
I'm just stroking directly. I suppose potatoes, you could do that. They get a little ashy. So for most of us, as Prabhupada explains right nicely in Purport to 930, we have two activities. We have activities according to the body and activities of body and mind, and the activities of the soul. So the activities of the soul. What are the activities of the soul? Shravanam Kirtanam. Vishnusmanam, Parasevanam, Archanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmanvedanam. Those are the activities of the soul. Those, by the way, can be, should be done by everybody. Whether you're a little child, when you're an old lady, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're from Nepal, whether you're from India, whether you're from China, whether you're from Chile, whether you're from Poland, whether you're from America, whether you're from New Zealand, whether you're from Australia, wherever you're from, doesn't matter. Whether you have, you know, 170 IQ or 50 IQ or you have such good health you've never gotten a cold in your life or you have to travel around with a big bag of medicines or whatever. <laughs> Everyone can do this hearing, chanting, remembering about Krishna. That's for everybody. And then there's the guna. What, what gunas are affecting us? Krishna says everyone is affected by the three modes of material nature. I've heard some devotees say, oh, women don't have any guna. So I was looking for the verse where Krishna says, everyone's affected by the modes except for human women. I couldn't find it. <laughs> there are people now preaching this in the Hare Krishna movement, that women have no guna. So of course, if you know any women, actually, maybe the people speaking like this have never met a woman. I'm wondering if their mother died when they were born. Like that Rishi Shringa, he'd never met a woman. You know that story? He'd never even seen a female animal. So I guess then you may think women have no qualities. But anyway, everyone has qualities. Even the little lizards have qualities, but to speak of humans. <laughs> so that's like the pot. What kind of pot do you have? Fire is fire is fire. I mean, some of us may have the fire turned on hotter <laughs> than others. That's our Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu Smaranam. And we all have different pots. We have different shaped pots, different size pots. Some of us have frying pans. Some of us have great big, you know, cookers you can cook for 25 people. Some of us have little tiny leader pots. You know, you can only cook for one or two people. Some of us have pots with the latest kind of handles. And, you know, we have all different... Uh, combinations of the gunas, and when you put that on the fire, it also acts transcendentally. So we have some work in relationship to our gunas. I also hear this about women, that, well, if women do have qualities, they don't have any activities that relate to those qualities. And I wonder if the men who say that, if they would like to not have a way to express their nature. Okay, you have a nature, but you better not do anything about it. <laughs> so, of course, Krishna doesn't say that either. But anyway, so all of us, Again, even the animals, what you speak of human beings, we all have actually a need to express who we are. Now, interestingly enough, the Brahman's guna, the guna of somebody who we call a Brahmana, is almost the same as the Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu which is the advantage of having a body and mind that is infused with sattva-guna, that has the guna of a rona. Because your material activities externally are almost the same. What are the six activities of a brahmana? Yes? Okay. Thank you. So to study the scriptures, but that's also one of the nine processes here. To teach the scriptures, that's also one of the nine processes, chanting. Right? To receive charity and to give in charity. So, 
maybe that's, or maybe that could be the category of service, and then to worship a deity and to teach others to worship a deity. So the six occupations of a Brahmin are all, they're all the same as the nine processes of devotional service. So this causes us some confusion sometimes um, if we try to do Brahminical activities. So the Brahmin, someone who has this Brahmin guna is very fortunate because their material activities is so easy to have them merge into transcendence. The, the connection is just easy and immediate and intuitive. Uh, but then other people, so we're looking first at the Brahmins. We won't skip to anyone else yet. So the Brahmin, as they're doing this yagya, now, of course, it's interesting because they're doing this yagya, so Maharaj Nabi and his wife Mary Devi will have a child. By the way, why were the kings so eager to have a child? We see throughout the Bhagavatam all this stuff about having a child. Seems to be really. Uh, and this theme is probably a little incomprehensible at the present time in modern society, where children are not so much wanted. And this attitude is even seeped into our Hare Krishna movement. When I was uh, in Chennai, earlier this year, everywhere I saw signs, one is best, one is best, one is best. Or in China, they're so much into the one is best that they kill the other children. They capture the pregnant women, even in late pregnancy, they force her to kill her child and they sterilize her, no more children. And more and more and more in modern society, people are thinking, no, don't have children. Get married as late as you can, even in ISKCON, we are preaching like this, somehow stay brahmacharya as long as you can. This is not Vedic, this is from the outside society. Vedic ideas, if you're going to marry, marry young, get it done with, so when you're older you can renounce. That's the Vedic idea. When the desires are strong and overwhelming, when your fertility is high, when biologically, psychologically, one should get get married then. Prabhupada said marriage after 30 is not so easy. And then you have your children when you're young, then your children have grown up, and then you're satisfied, and you still have energy. You know you're not already 90 years old. And then you can preach as a renunciate and work as a renunciate, and everything is done. You're no longer thinking, maybe I should get some years. So this is modern society. Wait till you're 35, 40 to get married. By that time, you're lucky if you can have any children, or you have maybe one child or two children. And please put them in daycare, and don't let anybody see them. Keep the, in the traditional societies, all of the recreation was done with the children, wasn't it? Everything was done with the children. It wasn't this adult programs and the children are not there. In traditional society, there's no concept like this. You find the babysitter, put them in daycare, don't bring your children. And I see this mentality is coming to us now, don't bring your children. And then we wonder why so few of our children want to be full-on creatures in our Hare Krishna movement. No, if you say to them, please take them out, take them out, please go out, please go out, please go out, then they get to a point they say, okay, I'm going out, goodbye. (laughs) So there was a general mood in favor of children in the Bhagavatam, isn't it? Isn't there a general mood in favor of children? Quite interesting. But good children, and especially the kings want to have children. Why? Yes? They have a duty to continue the lineage. Exactly. It's their duty to continue the lineage. So we're talking about this now in the Hare Krishna movement. We have a GBC succession committee. 
and we're talking about how to have succession. That's your duty. Whenever you are doing some service that needs to be continued, it's an ongoing service, part of your duty is to make sure that there's somebody who's qualified and trained, not just anybody. Like Mars Yudhisthira, when Mars Brickett was born, he was very concerned. He was asking all the astrologers, will he be a great Vaishnava, number one? And number two, will he have the guna of Kshatriya? Just a great Vaishnava isn't sufficient. We have um, Utkala, a number of examples in the Bhagavatam where like the oldest child who would have become the king was so absorbed in Krishna that he didn't want to do the kingly service or Priyavrata was like that. That let me just, you know, renounce some of them became Avadhuti. So Maharaj Yudhisthira was concerned, is Pariket going to be a Vaishnava and a Ksatriya? And what kind of Ksatriya? Really noble Ksatriya. And then they would train. Not our modern political system where people are not trained. The people becoming the prime minister, the president, I mean, some of them are trained actually in political science and, and legal issues and military science. <coughs> and governance and management, some of them, but not necessarily. Some of them are, you know, Hollywood movie actors. At least in America, I don't know about Australia, but we've elected some. You know, our governor of California, you know, Mr. Rambo. So he's some big protecting the people on the movies, but that doesn't mean he's actually a protector of the people. So their idea was, I have to have a successor, and the best way to train a successor is from childhood. And they knew the science of having a child of the proper quality, generally. It didn't always work. Like Maharaj Anga had this child, Vena. Sometimes it didn't work, but generally speaking, they knew how to call for a child of the proper quality. So they'd, be, they'd get some good stock to start with. You know, like the top schools, they always select their students. I mean, the reason students in Harvard do so well, it's not only because Harvard is a good school. That's not the only reason. They're selecting the, we call the creme de la creme. They're selecting the top of the top of the top of the top of the top to start with. They, when I was in Italy, I told the devotees, the prasad here is so good. They said, that's because we use top ingredients. <laughs> I'm sure also the cooks are good and they have special pizza ovens and everything, but you know, they're getting organically grown vine ripened tomatoes from the farmer next door. They're, pick, they're getting olives from the olive trees in the next farm. Right? They're getting fresh ground wheat. Just like at, at uh, Johnny's house, they're grinding, we grind the wheat fresh for whatever we make. So, top ingredients. So, they knew how to call for a child. That was the top ingredient. And not just top ingredient, but suitable for their family. Just like Parasaram, Parasaram's appearance externally, it was the result of, of mixing. Because Jamadagni was a Brahmana, but he married a Ksatriya lady. So generally that's, that's part of the science of pedigree, is you have two people of the same Varna married, which also shows that women must have Varna. You know, you, had, you wanted to marry a Brahmin man to a Brahmin woman, a Kshatriya man to a Kshatriya woman, a Vaishya man to a Vaishya woman. Why? I mean, one reason is so they would get along well. 
So they would like each other, so they would be happy. Another reason is so the husband and wife could do the same work together. Like Prabhupada said, the husband's weaving, the wife is weaving. You know, if you marry a weaver to a queen, it's a little difficult. <laughs> that's how are they going to each do their, their work? So part of the way they had the suitable children was they would marry, the Brahmin man would marry a Brahmin woman. But Jamadagni married a Ksatriya lady. And he prepared a payasa for her so she would have a Brahmin child. Because husband was Brahmin, he wanted to have a Brahmin child. Now her mother also wanted another child, so he prepared another payasa for her, that if she took this, she would have a Ksatriya child. But Jamadagni's mother-in-law was thinking, oh, my son-in-law is going to love his wife better than his mother-in-law. That's a reasonable assumption. <laughs> so she thought, so he must have prepared a nicer payasa for my daughter than for me. So she went to her daughter and she said, my dear daughter, are you willing to switch? So the daughter loves her mother, naturally. Sure, mom, we'll switch. And when Jamadagni came back and found out they had switched, <laughs> he said, you foolish women. He said, my dear mother-in-law, you're going to have a Brahmin for a son. And my dear wife, you're going to have a fierce... Kshatriya, so that was personal. So my point is they knew the science how to have a child that was would be able to take the most advantage of the training they would offer. By first of all marrying the right person. And this marriage was not determined just by birth, but also through astrology. Not that just because you're born in your family, you're Kshatriya. Astrology for both the man and the woman. And by performing various rituals and procedures to attract a like-minded child, and then they would give that child training from the very beginning. So this was their succession program. This succession program is very hard to do at the present time. It's very, very difficult that we're going to have our succession just by having suitable children and training them. To know exactly what somebody is suited for, from you know, to call them from before birth to come. This science process is mostly lost. So this was his duty, this was part of his service. Even for us, you know, if you're the pujari and you're going to go out of town to a festival, you get someone to cover your service, right? So we shouldn't think that this desire for a child is just something material. So the brahmanas are doing this jagya for a child, but they were not satisfied just with having a really first-class satriya child to carry on the dynasty. Now this is very nice to explain in Bhagavad Gita 12th chapter, where Krishna says, if you can't work for me, then at least karma polity, I can give up the results of your activities. And Prabhupada says in that purport, I believe it's to text 10 or 11, he says, if one is sacrificing, eventually one will say, if I'm sacrificing anyway, why don't I sacrifice for the best cause? Why, why should I sacrifice for an inferior cause? Very intelligent question. You can't avoid working hard. Anyone who thinks that they leave the Hare Krishna movement, they won't have to do any austerities and work hard is in for a very big surprise. You know, if you think Krishna consciousness is hard, I'll be a materialist, that'll be easy. I'm, I'm sorry, this is just not the way things are. Krishna says, I create, maintain, and dissolve everything by penance only. Everything in this world is achieved with penance and austerity. So if you're going to do penance and austerity anyway... There's no, there's no option, my dear friends. There, please believe me. Or you can try yourself. <laughs> you can try for several. As long as you want, you can try. There's no option where everything is just easy. It just doesn't exist. 
I know one man who married many, 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 many times because he kept thinking, I want my relationship with my wife to just be easy. I don't want to have to work at it. <laughs> you know, and after a few months, he divorced the wife, married another wife, divorced her. And he never figured out the problem wasn't the woman. The problem was that he didn't want to do any work. <laughs> so if you're going to do some austerity anyway, you're going to do some work anyway, why not do it for Krishna? He's the best object. So these brahmanas, they said, you know, if you're going to have a, a son to continue your line, why not have Krishna as your son? Well, but that may be a little too much. You know, we may not be qualified. So, okay, we want a son just like Krishna. And then Krishna comes and says, sorry, there's no just like me. <laughs> so, I'll come. He said, I'm so, I'm so pleased that you are genuine brahmanas. Whatever you said, this was the previous verse, whatever you said must happen. You have said a son like me, a son like me is me, so I will come. So this is how the brahmanas became instruments of greatness. Let's look at the different areas. How did the brahmanas become instruments of greatness? First of all, they were doing work according to their qualities. They were not trying to work according to someone else's qualities. They were doing work according to their qualities that was in line with the injunctions of the Shastra, which is that the brahmanas should facilitate the, govern, the governing persons to govern rightly. So they were helping the king, or perhaps it was the emperor, I'm not sure. They were helping this king, Nabi, to do his duty to continue the succession. And they were advising him how to do this, and they were facilitating him in doing this. So this is their job according to the Shastra. And also they had the intelligence to understand that if I'm going to do something at all, I might as well do it for the highest goal. I might as well do it for Krishna. So although they were doing their guna karma, they were doing it for Krishna in connection with Krishna, with affection for Krishna, not even just officially. So this is how they became agents of greatness. Interesting, we don't know their names. Their names are not given, just the brahmanas, the vidhya. And that's their part. They play their, their part was to qualify themselves to act properly and to do this jagya and say the prayers. That's their point. Okay, then we go, we're going to go back a little because we have here Agnidriye, the son of Agnidra. So he's referred to in this verse. So we're going to go back. How did Agnidra do his part? How was Agnidra an agent of greatness? So he also wanted to have good progeny. Same, same reason. This is my duty to Krishna. The people, this human life on this earth planet is such a valuable life. In all the universe, there are many planets which are, compared to this planet, this is like almost the slums of the universe, really. There's so much higher planets, and the residents are so much more qualified. But this human life is called karma bhumi. This is very easy to graduate to the spiritual world from this planet. You can also graduate from the higher planets, but this is the best jumping off place. And human beings, we are, we're very fragile. Therefore, the demigods always have to protect us and the demons are always trying to take over the planet. It's always battles between the demigods and the demons for this earth planet. So it's a very strategic planet. It's not very opulent, but it's very strategic. 
Uh, just like in World War II, when America was fighting with the Japanese, and the Japanese were advancing, advancing in the Pacific, taking over more and more and more islands. So there, there was the, do you all know what the turning point was? Any of you know? In World War II, what was the turning point? Pearl Harbor. No, Pearl Harbor was what brought America into the war. But what was the time that the Japanese stopped winning and started losing? There was, there was the Midway. Midway. Yes, there was a battle of Midway. And this, uh, I don't know how much time, it's a fascinating story about the battle of Midway. How the Japanese were hoping to lure all of the American um, aircraft carriers to Midway, destroy all the American aircraft carriers, and that way they would have an advantage in the war. But their whole plan depended on one thing. Don't ever do that. Don't have all your plan dependent on one thing. It was dependent on secrecy. And just like Krishna says, you should know where your enemy lives. You know, he tells Arjuna that this great, curb this great symbol of sin, lust. And then he says that this lust resides in the senses, the mind, and the intelligence. You have to know what your enemy looks like, and you have to know where they are. So the Americans broke the Japanese code. And they knew the Japanese were going to attack Midway. So the whole Japanese advantage was gone. And therefore, they were, they were already there. The Japanese thought, we'll attack Midway first, and then the Americans will pull in all their aircraft carriers. We'll see them coming in. We'll attack them and destroy them. But the Americans were lying in wait already. <laughs> they were ambushing the Japanese instead of the Japanese ambushing them. And the Americans knew where all the Japanese ships were, but the Japanese didn't even know the American ships were there at all. They didn't know where their enemy was. So the consequence was the Americans lost one ship, the Japanese lost almost all of their ships. Also, there's many fascinating analogies we can make from that battle. I mean, the Japanese were trying to first attack the land, so they outfitted their planes with land bombers, land bombs, and then they realized the ships were there, and they switched to ship bombs. But when they switched, they didn't take the time to put the bombs in the proper place because they were in a hurry. So they just switched on the ship, and they left all the bombs sitting on the ships, so when the American planes attacked, there were all the bombs right on the top, and they blew up their ships with their own bombs. Uh, but anyway, Midway became very strategic. Midway is not a very, this is my whole point, that Midway is not a very strategic place in general. How many people in the world have heard of Midway Island? You know, if you want to see Midway Island, you have to go to Google Maps and you have to, you know, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in all the way to even find it. Very, very, very small and very insignificant. But strategically, the Battle of Midway won the war. So this Earth planet's not very important. But strategically, it's very important. This is the, the planet that's sort of a pivot for the universe. Because here, the living entity is being trained in the human body to go up or down. So there's a great responsibility to have good government in this Earth planet. There's such an emphasis on having good government on the Earth planet. So Maharaj Agnidra, like his son, Maharaj Nabi, wanted to have first-class children. And he understood, what we're talking about to have first-class children, you have to have proper marriage, right? between proper man, proper woman, and then you have to do proper rituals to get the right child. So he was very attached to having a good wife. He understood that without a good wife, without a highly qualified wife, I will not be able to have proper children. So he prayed to the person who in the universe is most concerned with population and this earth planet, Lord Brahma. He said, please send me the best wife possible. And he wasn't thinking the best wife in terms of 
I'm going to enjoy the world with my best wife. Although he ended up falling into that mentality, unfortunately. But he was thinking best wife for service. So Lord Brahma sent one of his, one of his devotees, one of his disciples, Purvachiti. And Prabhupada says, both Purvachiti and Agnidra were very spiritually advanced persons. And that was also Purvachiti's part as an agent of greatness in the appearance of the Lord. You may wonder, why is the story of Agnidra and Purvachiti in the Bhagavatam? You almost have read it not too long ago. And I'm sure some of you are wondering, what is this doing here? Because actually that was their seva. Although Agnidra wanted a good wife, he was so uh, absorbed in his seva, he no longer could distinguish Vijayavanaya Samprane, Brahmani Govinaskini, Chunichayavasupakecha, Pandita Sandarshan. He couldn't even tell what a woman looked like anymore. <laughs> so Purvachiti had to take some little extreme measures to get him involved in his service. So what was her part? Her part that was when Lord Brahma said to her, I mean, look, here on Brahma Loka, you're a disciple of Lord Brahma, you want to come to the earth planet and have children? Would you want to do that? Probably not. But she understood, this is how I can be an agent of greatness. This is how I can facilitate the appearance of the Lord, how I can do my role. So she obeyed Lord Brahma, she came to the earth planet. She enticed Agnidra, who then said, oh yes, I want to marry you. And then she produced these first-class children. And then she went back to Brahmaloka. She's done her duty. So Agnidra did his duty by purifying himself through austerities, through penances, by praying to Lord Brahma, Purvachiti, by coming on the order of Lord Brahma, by producing these wonderful children, training them how to be Vaishnavas. Such first-class training they must have been. Right? And then we have Nabi. So what's Nabi's part? Nabi is personally, now he's, he's an agent of greatness personally coming through him. And he also marries a first-class girl, this Meru Devi. Picks somebody who's suitable to be the mother of God. And he purifies himself to be the father of God. And then he engages the proper Brahmanas. So we may think, oh, Nabi and Meru Devi, they're the only ones who are important. But everyone else is important also. Uh, that's why they're mentioned. That's why Agnija's story is mentioned. That's why uh, Purvachiti's story is mentioned. The Brahmins are mentioned. So this is also for ourselves. Right? Krishna is reciprocating with the affectionate, loving dealings done according to Shastra by all of these people. By each of the Brahmins individually, who we don't even know their name. Krishna knows their name. We don't know their name. By Agnija, by Lord Brahma, who also did his role by, by Purvachiti, by Merudevi, uh, assuredly by Meru's parents, also by Merudevi's parents. We don't know much about, we just know father is Meru, we don't know who's the mother. So they have done their part also. And then the Lord appears. Krishna says, yes, I'm very pleased and I will come. So this is the mission of the Hare Krishna movement. And we each have our different place. And you cannot say, this person is important, this person is not important. You cannot say, Maharaj Nabi is important, and Agnidra is not important. Let's skip the Agnidra Purvachiti section of Bhagavatam, where it, just, it looks like Agnidra is just saying, oh, Purvachiti, you're so beautiful. Let's just go right here. No, they're, they're all playing their role. They're all doing their place. And everyone is feeling fully satisfied by their connection with Krishna. And they're playing their role appropriately. 
The Brahmanas, they're playing their role as Brahmanas. The Kshatriyas, they're playing their role as Kshatriyas. Right? The, the men and the women, they're each playing their role according to their qualities, according to their desires. And they're playing it materially perfectly and they're also connecting with Krishna. So this should inspire us. Let me see what is my... Materially, we all have some quality. We all have some nature. We all have some inclination. And spiritually, we are all pure soul. So to qualify ourselves by engaging in the fire of bhakti, so we can have our ultimate self-actualization. Our ultimate self-actualization, ultimate self-realization is not according to our guna karma in this world, even when it's connected with Krishna, and even when it becomes fully spiritualized in connection with Krishna. Our ultimate self-realization is who am I eternally? What is my swabhav? What is my swarup? That is the ultimate purpose of our Hare Krishna movement. Our ultimate purpose is not how we act externally in this world. Although when we have realized ourselves internally, it all merges into transcendence. The devotees are just like we don't see Mahaprabhu's external and internal purposes as being different exactly. They're two different parts of the same thing. I feel love for you, so I send you a birthday card. They're, they're, they're connected. So the devotees see their external actions in this body, whether I have a frying pan or a big pot or a little pot or a good handle or not handle, that that's related to my fire of my real relationship with Krishna. So we are meant to find ourselves in two ways. We are meant to find ourselves internally, our hearing, chanting, remembering Krishna. This is with the purpose of finding ourselves. That's its purpose. Its purpose is not to say, I chanted my 16 hours, I went to the kirtan and take that off. <laughs> Okay, now I'm a member in good standing of the Hare Krishna movement, and now they're going to give me some burfi. <laughs> and if I really do it well, they'll give me an office with my name on the door. That's yeah. not the purpose. Or I'll be a righteous person, I'll be a good religious person, I'm following my culture. Or I will get salvation, I'll get out of this horrible place. Oh, if I come to Kokodagogarundam, and finally where I can be happy. The purpose is to reestablish our loving relationship with Krishna. To find who I am. Chaito Dharma Marjana, to look in the mirror and see who am I. Oh, I'm one of Krishna's servants. I'm one of Krishna's friends. I'm one of Krishna's lovers. I'm one of Krishna's parents. And this is who I am. This is my name. This is my form. This is my residence. This is my ultimate goal of life. That is the purpose of our sadhana bhakti. And we also have to do another kind of self-realization, which in former times was much easier. In former times, it wasn't such a big deal because your, your mother and father were of the same nature. They called a ch- you as a child who was fit with their nature. They, they looked at your horoscope and they were qualified astrologers and they pretty much, everyone had a pretty good idea of who you were materially, and they were helping you to be the best you could be according to your nature from the time that you were very young. And this society, it's at, it's, that's lost. Right? We have to kind of figure it out for ourselves, and many of us are still figuring it out when we're, you know, 40. I get a lot of questions from people in their 30s and 40s. Well, who am I? What's my nature? <laughs> Whoa, you know, should have had that figured out when you were like 15. 
So that's, that we also have a responsibility to figure out because we have a place where we fit. And when we're in the right place, just like Robert says, a little screw is not very valuable. But when it's in the machine, in the right place, it's so valuable. So each of us, when we're in that right place, on, on both levels, ultimately, unless we're at the right place internally, we won't be fully satisfied. Yet, yet, we supersede the team. We have to find our real self. Just finding our place in the materially in connection with Mahaprabhu's mission will not be enough. We have to do both. And just trying to work internally without finding our place in the mission will not be enough either. For 99.999999999% of people. We cannot just be an avaduta. Let me remove myself and just, and, and Prabhupada doesn't even like that idea. So some people, okay, I won't care what I do in the mission, I don't care what I do in the world, let me just find who I am in Radha Krishna Lila. Uh, but unfortunately, unless you're already very advanced, our external nature will reassert itself in some way. What to do? That's what Krishna says. Anyway, I think he knows what he's talking about. He says you can't repress your nature. You can either do it for me or do it for Maya. So these are the two aspects of self-realization we need to do. And this is this mood should be a mood of affection. Going to Krishna with affection and begging to be an instrument that Krishna can manifest through us. And when we are doing that, then we are going to be happy. Whether we're just one of the Brahmin priests whose name doesn't get mentioned, or whether we are actually Mary Devi, the mother of God, whether, in other words, we have some obviously big role or not so obviously big role, whether we're background, whether we're front, that won't matter anymore. When we're in the right place, we feel completely satisfied. And then Krishna manifests to us, which is what he wants to do, by the way. He wants to do that. Krishna wants to manifest to us. He wants us to be an agent of, of his greatness and to exalt and relish in his greatness and how we have been an instrument for his greatness. That's how we enjoy, you know? We enjoy, we enjoy the fact that I have been an instrument for Krishna to manifest his greatness. That's our pleasure. Our, our, our way of getting pleasure is how Krishna has used me for his enjoyment. Materially, if someone uses me for their enjoyment, it's horrible. Isn't it? Someone uses me for their enjoyment? No. It's awful. But when Krishna uses me for his enjoyment, it's wonderful. I'm sure we've all had experience like that. Haven't we had experience where we just felt, wow, Krishna really used me as his instrument. That was so wonderful. Just you ended up in the right place at the right time, talking to the right person, and you just knew what to say and what to do. Haven't you all experienced that? Krishna consciousness? And it's the most wonderful feeling. So we want to be in a situation where we are feeling like that all the time. So this means finding our place, doing that with affection for Krishna, doing that with a desire, with a prayer. Krishna, please put me in my right place and use me as an instrument to manifest. Let me be an instrument for your greatness. Let me find my satisfaction like that. Then we have a harmonious society. And everyone should be encouraged like that. Everyone should be encouraged to find the place where they best fit and how to appreciate what each other is doing. Not that everybody is Mary Devi or everybody is Navi. There had to be the Brahmins also. There had to be Agnitra also. There had to be so many. Uh, and we can imagine so many people who are not mentioned in the Bhagavatam who are also part of this. 
So this is how we find our fulfillment. So, time for questions, comments, additions, subtractions, corrections, chastisements. I get those sometimes. Yes? Thank you for that really, really wonderful class. Um, you mentioned earlier the nature of a Brahmana. Um, you were going to go on to talk about the nature of a Kshatriya. And I didn't have time. Would you like me to? Yes, please. Is everybody else interested in this? Okay. And, and actually, this question about the nature of a Kshatriya is, in my opinion, I don't like to say my humble opinion because all my opinions are arrogant, but in my opinion, that finding the nature of Kshatriya is the need of the day in the Hare Krishna movement. So when I joined ISKCON, if you had a Brahminical nature or a Sudra nature, it was very easy. We could give you a service to do, and you knew your part of the mission. And you felt that what you were doing was bhakti for yourself, and that you had a role in Mahaprabhu's mission. And if you were a Shudra, except in the Philadelphia temple, where they don't have any Shudras, so the paint's peeling off the wall and the plumbing is always broken. <laughs> but in most, it's just a very intellectual temple. <laughs> I hope you don't mind that I say this, but everybody knows that it's an open secret that the Prabhu just acts as a magnet to attract all these other intellectuals, and so there's nobody who can paint the walls. So, but generally, you know, we've also understood the position of Shudras. Somebody's got to take out the trash and paint the walls and fix the cars. And we've also seen that they have a position in bhakti and enroll in Mahaprabhu's mission. But for a long time, we didn't recognize the value of vaishas or kshatriyas. We, we labeled them as materialistic. And they really suffered. And then sometime, I, I've taught this kind of history of bhakti ontologists, by the way. So at, at a certain point, probably around the 90s, maybe the 80s in some places, we finally figured out we need money. One of those sort of, oh, we need money. <laughs> so then we started doing what I would call activating the vaishas. We started encouraging people who had vaisha qualities to act as vaishas. And we started saying, yes, you're, you can be a pure devotee as a vaisha, and you have a place in Mahaprabhu's mission. But we still haven't activated our satriyas. We don't know what to do with them. And this is, I see, practically all of our problems in ISKCON. I mean, also, you can attribute them to people maybe not changing their balance, but all of our problems are just due to the fact that right now we don't have any Satrias. Well, we don't we have them, but we're, there, we're not using them, with a few exceptions. I see a few places where we're actually engaging Satrias. But most of those people don't know they're Satrias. Because we've so much indoctrinated our members that Satrias are, are materialistic. You know, when we talk about Kshatriyas, people say, oh, the guys go out with the swords and cut off people's heads and marry 300 women. You know what Kshatriyas do? Kshatriyas are like super fathers and super mothers. And their main business is social welfare work, which is a really dirty word in the Hare Krishna movement. I mean, there was a while when money was a really dirty word. <laughs> In fact, just a little while ago, so I was working with Bhaktivedanta College, they wanted to have a business degree. So they were putting together a rough draft of material to attract students to enroll in their business degree. 
And in the material it said, so you can become a Vaishnava business person and live with the bare necessities of life. Did I not say that very well? I'm just getting blank faces. Now, do you think that's peculiar? Yeah. Or are you all sleeping? Or did you all have late <laughs> nights or something? <laughs> do you think you're going to attract anyone to a business degree to live with the bare necessities of life? No. No. <laughs> Who's going to sign up for such a degree? <laughs> You'll not get any students. And this was just a few years ago. And, I, and I, it was hard for me to communicate this to the person who wrote it. So we tend to think also that there's something wrong with social welfare work. I mean, it's true. Prabhupada talked about living with the bare necessities of life. Prabhupada talked about not thinking social welfare work is spiritual. What was Prabhupada talking about? People who say service to man is service to God. People who think that social, wel social welfare work is a substitute for bhakti. So the main end of satriyas, by the way, is not fighting. Some of them. I mean, you have some people who are police officers, and that's what they do. But even the police officers, they're not going around shooting all the time. I mean, you might think they do if you watch TV and movies, but that's not really what they do. They're, we call them in America peace officers. They're protectors. Just like a husband and father has to be willing to fight to protect his wife and children, but that's not what he does all the time. What is he doing? He's making sure they have food and water and clothing and a place to stay and education and friends and make sure his children has toys and make sure his wife has nice jewelry. He's taking care of their material and if he's a devotee, they're also their spiritual needs. So Ksatriya is the epitome of compassion. Therefore, Arjuna, as an Ksatriya, Prabhupada said he was very soft-hearted, very compassionate, very caring person. I've concluded that Brahmanas care about people and Satris care for people. So the Brahmanas care, they want people to have food and water, but they're not going to do it. They're going to study the Shastra and say this is how to do it. They're not going to, they're not going to go out and do it. I mean, a Brahmana may have, you know, some students in their little school they're taking care of or some little temple that they're running. They're not going to run a village and make sure everybody has good water and electricity and good roads and they're just not going to do that. It's not their inclination. But that's what a Ksatriya wants to take care of people. And the more you're Ksatriya, the more people you want to take care of. Not satisfied taking care of a thousand people. Let me take care of ten thousand. Let me take care of let me take care of millions of people and give everybody what they need. And the Ksatriya is willing, just here in this Krishna book, they're willing to give away all of their wealth to take care of people. Satyas are not interested in wealth. Vaishas are interested in wealth. Satyas are not interested in wealth. They're interested in, in honor. And being honorable. <laughs> the Brahmanas, uh, the material problem for a Brahmana is pride and an interest in, in personal purification to the detriment of the society. So this is the Achilles heel for the Brahmana. That they may be so focused on their own purification that they may not be interested so much in helping others. The Achilles seal for the Ksatriya is that they want to be righteous for the sake of honor, rather than for the sake of pleasing Krishna with their righteousness. So this is the materialistic Ksatriya. What's motivating him and her is, is this, I want to be a good person. I want to be an ethical person. The Brahmanas are not so interested in ethics, which is another problem we have had in our Hare Krishna movement. What, what are our problems right now? 
the lack of care of our members, the lack of development in a society. You know, you can serve in the movement your whole life and nobody takes care of you in your old age. Nobody's doing social welfare work for the devotees. A few places, but not generally. And the lack of morals and ethics. A lack of justice. Got a bunch of forgiving, tolerant, compassionate, merciful people. That's wonderful, but not as governors. You You need a class of people whose modus operandi is forgiveness. But as governors, that doesn't work very well. In a society, to have peace, there has to be a high standard of morals, ethics, and justice. The Brahmin is not so interested in justice. It's not. They're interested in forgiveness. So if Satriya is interested in justice, they can also be forgiving, of course. They take some pride in being forgiven. But the Satriyas, as you surrender. <laughs> Brahmins will forgive you if you don't surrender. Satriyas, you surrender, then they'll forgive. No problem. So Satri is somebody who, who they also, Satriyas are expert at collecting and redistributing large amounts of wealth. They don't generate wealth. Satriyas do not generate wealth. Brahmins do not generate wealth. Brahmins generate knowledge, truth, guidance. Satriyas generate protection, care, peace. Brahmins are causing peace in the society in the heart. Satriyas are causing peace in society external. You need both, don't you? You know, if you're, if as an individual, if you have a peaceful heart in a chaotic society, okay. But the Brahmins make a peaceful external society. The Ksatris, rather. They make the society externally peaceful, so there's no criminals, so you have enough uh, health, you have good health, you have you know, pure food, pure air, pure water. They make sure that all this is going on. So they're primarily, if you see somebody who is collecting large amounts of wealth and redistributing it to help people get education, medical care, water, trees, spiritual knowledge, they like to support brahmanas, and they always want to get bigger, 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 And especially if that person is willing to fight, maybe not physically, but is willing to fight to protect their people. If there's some harm that come to the people they're taking care of, they won't just step aside and say, all right, well, whatever. <coughs> like the sister, when Vishwamrita Muni was stealing his Kamadenu cow, he just said, what can we do? And the Kamadenu cow's crying. Protect me, your sister, protect me. He says, what can I do? She says, okay, I'll do something. And she was a commandant counselor. So she generated armies from her own body. But Sachi wouldn't do that. Someone's, you know, hurting someone under their care, like Marge Brickett. Somebody was hurting the count immediately. Hey, who are you? Hurting my subject. Don't we need that? Isn't that what we need in our Hare Krishna movement? This is what we don't have. This is the one place we're missing. Someone who says, hey, innocent people are being hurt here. Where's my sword? Where's justice? Where's ethics? I'm going to take care of people. Let's form villages. Let's form communities. So we have people like that. Some of them are running temples. I know some temples that are actually owned by exceptions. Not many. And some of them have gone outside of the institution and have formed their own social welfare organizations for which they get criticized. Why are you doing social welfare? And then some of them try to act, pretend like they're Brahmanas, or pretend like, a lot of them think they're vicious because they collect wealth. They can't collect taxes now. They generally are collecting charity. Hard for them to collect taxes. So that's the nature of the subject. Big protector. 
like maha 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 dad. <laughs> so that's and Avaisha. Avaisha produces actually generates wealth. Avaisha is the only one in the society who's generating money, and the proper Vaisha generates money in an honest way from natural resources. So the Brahmana has to protect knowledge and truth. The Ksatya protects the people. The Vaisha protects the land, then all the natural resources is under the direct... Of course, the Brahmana also is, you know, it's like concentric circles. So the Brahmana is in one sense protecting everybody, but not directly. The Ksatya is protecting everybody under them, but again, not directly. And then the Vaisha is protecting under them, but not directly. You follow? So the, the Ksatya is directly protecting people. The Ksatya is not directly protecting the natural resources. But the Ksatya has rules and governance so that the Vaishas don't exploit the natural resources. Because now we have, don't have, in modern society, we don't have good Brahmanas, therefore the Ksatryas are not good, therefore the Vaishas are all exploiting the natural resources. They're producing, first of all, dishonest wealth. All the stocks and bonds are not all, but a lot of it is just cheating wealth. It's not real wealth. How can you have real wealth? One day you're a millionaire and the next day you're a pauper. It's cheating. And when they're getting wealth from natural resources, they're doing it by harming and raping the earth and the water and the sky and everything. So a real Vaisha gets wealth from the land, gets wealth from the sea, right? gets wealth from the animals. So in the form of food, in the form of fiber, in the form of jewels, in the form of, of metals and minerals and everything. And they do that through working in harmony with the earth. And then, the, so the mood of the Vaisha is always to get more money. Vaisha also, the Vaisha and the Satriya always want to expand like that. Some Brahmanas always want to expand knowledge also. But especially the Vaishas and the Satriyas because they're influenced by passion, which is always bigger, more, bigger, more, bigger, more, bigger, more. But you want Vaishas who think like that. You don't want a Vaisha who says, I'm just satisfied with the Javadi. <laughs> then you can't build a temple. Then the Ksatriyas can't build a school. Then the Ksatriyas can't build roads. But you want Vaisha who wants bigger, bigger, more, more, and more, and more in a way that's honest, honest wealth, real wealth. By honest, I mean genuine, it's really wealth. Real food, not genetically engineered, fake, no calorie food. And done that with respect for the natural resources of the earth in a way that's sustainable, that's sustainable over thousands and millions of years. Not that we feed this generation with chemical fertilizers and then after that everybody is poisoned and starves. And of course, each one can be doing this as an offering to Krishna. I'm protecting knowledge and generating knowledge and guiding the society to please Krishna. I'm protecting the people to please Krishna. I'm protecting the natural... Who's the natural resources? Bhumi is Krishna's wife. I'm, I'm caring for Krishna's wife, who's the goddess of fortune. And out of her gratitude, my mother is giving me this wealth that I can then use to serve Krishna. Mommy's giving me a plate of food that I'm bringing to my daddy. That's how the Vaishas are seen. Then the Shudras. The Shudras protect the arts, the skills, the crafts. The, the Vaishnav Shudra, they're interested in pious pleasures. In, in, in pleasures that are within the injunctions of the Shastra. So they're going to be expert in music that glorifies Krishna, expert in dance that glorifies Krishna, in painting, in pottery, in, in rug making, in every... All of the Shudras are protecting the things, objects, 
So you've got the Brahmanas are protecting Nalas, the Ksatriyas are protecting the people, the Vaishyas are protecting the animals and the natural resources, the Shudras are protecting the arts, the skills, the crafts, and objects. And again, to make sure that these are all done in, in the injunctions of the Shastra, and to bring people to Krishna. Like nowadays, the Shudras, they play music that drags you away from Krishna. They produce things in factories, they're losing all their skills. Instead of, you know, taking pride that I'm a potter, you're just doing one thing over and over again in the factory. <laughs> so the, the Shudra is, a, is an artisan, a craftsperson. Uh, highly often, not on I mean, the levels, of course, the so levels of Brahmins, levels of Satyas, levels of Vaishyas, levels of Shudras. Like Nandamaraj is like a Vaishya king. Sort of, you know, he's sort of Brahmin, he's sort of Satya Vaishya. Of course, his father was Satya, his mother was Vaishya. So this is the, and the, the mood of the Shudras, the qualities of the Shudras is they really, uh, what enthuses them is beauty and talent and, and skill, a sense of accomplishment and a skill of looking at some uh, art production or some object and taking pride in that or perhaps some devotion to a particular master and serving a particular master and helping them with their particular duties. So this is the, the mood of the Shudras. And everyone has their realm of protection and their realm that they're offering to Krishna. So that was a long answer. And I've come to the end of my time. So I hope none of you have some Really, if, if anyone has a question that you're going to die if you don't ask it, <laughs> otherwise we should end. Was that all right? That was really good. Thank you. Was that was every, everybody happy with that? Yes. Please recall that there there are many many of the, the four main categories doesn't really tell you a lot about you as an individual because there's such a a, a range in each of those categories. There's such a huge range. I mean, what is the difference between a, an expert painter in the Rajasthani style and the person picking up the rubbish. And they're both in the Shudra category, but you can see what a difference. Or there's the Brahmana who's just in a cave, off in the mountains somewhere. Just like in the modern universities. <laughs> so there are professors who've never left school their whole life. They went from nursery school to primary to secondary to undergraduate to graduate. They've never like walked out of the door of the institution. They don't know what the world looks like. And many of their students are also like that. You know, they're people who just teach people who teach people who teach people. And they publish for the magazine. What is this for? <laughs> but eventually, what happens every once in a while is a door opens somewhere. Every once in a while, somebody from the world is the ivory tower people. So in Vedic times, those were the Himalayan cave Brahmanas. They didn't interact with society generally, but sometimes they'd come and interact with society. And sometimes somebody from, someone from society would go to them. So there was occasionally some connection, but they were preservers of truth. So we have Brahmanas like that. Then you have Brahmanas who were scribes, you know, before photocopy machines and printers. There were some Brahmanas who were just human copy machines. They were just copying the Shastra. And then you had Brahmanas who were the teachers and who were in society as the teachers. You had the Brahmanas who were the ministers to the kings. You had Brahmanas who established truth by going from village to village debating. They're almost like Ksatra, isn't it? They're, they were combative. But they're, they're combative in the realm of truth. They're fighting with words. And they want to get their Jayapatra in there. Because they have the, the, you see, they're almost in that, they're not quite. 
So among the Ksatriyas, there's the king, there's the princes, then there's other members of the royal family, there's down to the foot soldiers and the police officers, and then all the different government officers, some of whom are Ksatriyas, some of whom are going to be shooters, who are, who are governing and making sure everybody gets what they need. So it's wide range within us. Okay, thank you very much for having me here. And all glories to Shilpa. Great to meet you.